0: What's the worst part about breaking four tackles and running into the end zone for the game-winning touchdown? Not having your wayfarer still with you to protect your eyes from all the flashbulbs. Sounders, keep your shades anchored and where they belong during life's greatest feats. Head to soundergoods.com and use promo code KTTC to get 10% off and free shipping with any order.
1: You're listening to the Keef to the City Podcast.
0: Here's Neil Keith All right, so the holiday season is upon us. The uh, the New York Giants season is long, long gone, and uh, that was, uh, you know, made apparent a few weeks ago against the Seahawks, and now it's just become a total joke and embarrassment. Uh, their loss to the Jaguars on Sunday, and now it's uh, just about Tom Coughlin from here on out, whether or not he'll return next season and beyond, or if we'll see a new. Head coach uh, with the New York Giants for the first time since uh, Coughlin took over in 2004. But uh, things are going well up north for the Patriots, even with their Sunday night loss to the Packers. And joining me here today to talk football, a little Patriots, a little hockey, a little baseball, touch on everything, is Mike Hurley of CBS Boston. Mike, how's it going today?
1: Doing pretty well. (laughs) Doing better than the
0: Giants. (laughs) That's for sure. And, you know, it's funny because all these years we talk, uh, you know, throughout the weeks during football season and... You know, you always joke to me about who who would rat, who would watch the Giants, it's terrible football, it's this and that. And for the most part, it is, and outside of their two runs in, in 2007, 2011, um, it's been a pretty mediocre, you know, last 10, 11 years for the Giants. Sure, they have, they have two Super Bowls, but outside of that, they've got a lot of second-half collapses uh, this year. Last year were just, you know, disasters from the get-go. And I always, you know, thought, you know, it's not that bad, but... Now looking at it from this perspective, at, at what's gone on this year, it, it is really that bad for the Giants.
1: Yeah, but it makes you wonder because you you mentioned the 2007, 2011 seasons, which I forget what happened at the end of those. But you said they were good, so they must have been good. But uh, <laughs> it makes you it makes it's the it's the never ending debate. Would you rather be competitive every year, go 12 and four, 13 and three, and not win the Super Bowl like the Patriots, or would you rather have those those super high peaks where you just sort of have? A ma- everything sort of comes together in January, even when you don't have a major regular season and you win the Super Bowl. Because I think most people would take that. wouldn't you? I mean, it's frustrating to watch them sit in last place. But I think people here are sort of sick of seeing the Patriots roll every year, 13, 12 wins, 14 wins, and then peter out in January or February, uh, thanks mostly to the Giants when it comes to February ones. But, you know, they've lost to the Jets. They've lost to the Broncos. They've lost to... I'm gonna lose track, but you know it's it's been it's been almost more frustrating, I think, for people here to see the Patriots just sort of waltz their way to a, a one seed and a first round bye, and then get nothing out of it. So I think uh, at least those Super Bowls aren't going anywhere. The uh, the Giants two Super Bowls, they they won't take those away.
0: Well, I think that's so they should after
1: Sunday. I mean, when you go a <laughs> lead to the, the Jaguars, you should lose at least one Lombardi.
0: <laughs> well, I think you know, I think I would take their situation. The fact that uh, they have so many years where they're six and two, and then they finish eight and eight, or the, the years like last year where they just start off terribly and never really rebound, or years like this year where they start off terribly, rebound, and then just tear your heart out anyway. Uh, but I would, I would take their situation. I would take the two championships, obviously, over anything because for you and the Patriots, you know, you do have your three from you know two thousand one, two thousand three, two thousand four, and it's been ten years of not winning, and, and certainly you've su- sustained success during that time. But no other team has really done that. Um, so, to, if you're going to take the Giants or the Patriots situation over the last ten years, I certainly would take the Giants. And in the grand scheme of things, you take the Giants because you know there's certainly teams with no Super Bowls, or, or teams like the Jets who haven't won in over you know 45 years now, uh, who would sign up for that in a heartbeat and give up you know limbs of their body, some fans to win a Super Bowl. So, as bad as things have been, I, I could still always you know fall back and, and get on YouTube quick and type in Jay Alford and, and remember the good days.
1: Yeah, and I mean it's sort of counteracting my own point but the 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 choice of choosing the Giants is obviously only counterintuitive you know looking in hindsight because you wouldn't going into the the playoffs in 07 I don't think you would have you know if you were to pick a team that you'd that you'd rather be I think you'd pick the Patriots it's just sort of things didn't work out that way but you know when the Patriots won those Super Bowls, for example, I mean, I've I've gone through the, the laundry list of things that, that bounced their way from Drew Bennett dropping an easy pass in the Titans game to, to all sorts of calls. I mean, obviously, the tuck rule changed everything, Benetarian, two impossible kicks. All these things that happened for them have sort of happened. The ball's just bounced the other way in the past, you know, four or five chances. They've had to really make a deep playoff run or win a Super Bowl. So, uh, I still think there's, there's, there's merits, obviously, to being the better team uh, in that long run, but but luck, luck, not it's not luck. I don't know what it is that played the factor in January that just hasn't been on their side uh, for the past <laughs> decade. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what I'd I honestly don't know what I'd be. The, the team that randomly wins in retrospect is better, but it's a frustrating way to live for uh, most of your existence.
0: Well, when it comes to the Patriots and uh their success and once again having another great season and after the 2-2 two two star when everyone questioned everything about him from Belichick to Brady to, you know, should Brady be traded or not even be the starter anymore. Uh, and now here they are again 9-3 and three. and if that game on Sunday was played in, in Gillette, they probably beat the Packers uh, and maybe on a neutral field if they meet again, they will. And that's what scares me the most is now that, you know, the Giants are out, the Cowboys are probably going to fade and and fall apart. The Jets have never really been in it. Um, I don't trust the Eagles, especially with Mark Sanchez. So that leaves the, the, the Patriots as the one team that, you know, for me as a fan and as a New York fan, I need them out. And really, I don't see any other way except for a Super Bowl situation where either Seattle or Green Bay, I feel like, are the best chances of them losing. And I don't necessarily even know that Seattle can beat them. And when it comes down to a neutral field in, in perfect conditions, uh, in the Dome, in Arizona, I don't know what to expect. And I just feel like we're at that point again where the Patriots are easily going to the AFC Championship game, which is, you know, hard to fathom coming from where they were after the first month of the season. Uh, and I don't think Denver's going to stop them or Kansas City or San Diego or whoever thinks they will along the way, but... For you, do you already see that that situation and that chance where, uh, you know, you'll be waiting for a Patriots win to send you on a nice uh, week or two-week trip to Arizona?
1: Yeah, well, I think, uh, back, you mentioned everyone talking about Brady being, you know, losing his job and Belichick being it, all those things. It was clear, I think, to anyone watching. I mean, those are like sort of the national talking points, but I think anyone watching could tell the offensive line was just a mess. And when you don't have an offensive line, you can't do anything, so... Once they got that situated in the middle, because it wasn't just like the tackles were getting beat. It was right up the gut, and Brady was having 0.5 seconds to try to make a decision with the football. So no one could succeed in those conditions. So once they got that squared away, it did take me a while to accept the fact that they were actually good because because of how bad that first month was. But I sort of, I've sort of come to grips with the fact that they're actually pretty good. So they should be there. I mean, you saw what they did against Denver. Granted, it was at Gillette and the uh, Patriots are going to probably have to win out to get that matchup again, but they they just—they were just better than them. Peyton Manning doesn't have an answer for them in cold weather, in any adverse conditions. I mean, Peyton Manning throws a hissy fit when the stadium announcer plays jump around at the two-minute warning when his team's up by two touchdowns because he wants to make a call to the line. So the guy doesn't deal with anything that is sort of out of place or makes him slightly uncomfortable. So the Patriots really should be getting there, but you saw Sunday, they... they Obviously, it's against a good team, and it's a game that isn't really shameful to lose, but they're capable of sort of, you know, not putting it all together in a given week and not winning, so I don't think anything, I don't think they're good, so good that they should have a guaranteed spot in the Super Bowl, no.
0: No one breaks the games down like you, especially the Patriots, with the leftover thoughts, and the play that really, you know, made me feel good inside was when Jordy Nelson uh, beat Darrell Rivas across the field at the end of the half, and after you know constantly every graphic was you know how many times Revis has been thrown to how many catches how many yards it, over and over and then to see him get burned like that across you know the middle of the field is something that you rarely ever see uh when he's on the Jets I felt like you never ever ever saw it so it couldn't have been better timing with how much they were talking about him to see that play unfold and uh you know I'm sure for you someone who uh you know likes to intricately pull apart each play throughout a Patriots game that must have been a shock for you to see
1: um, I wouldn't say shocking because if you look at the reception he does give up, it's typically on the comeback routes. It's on the little in cuts where he'll give you the short reception and sort of take you down because he is a good tackler, too. I think that sometimes gets lost, and uh, his skill set is that he can tackle. But uh, so, so to see a reception like that, a little 12-yard in cut, wasn't surprising, but obviously he just was, He just got burned after that. It was really a great pass by Rogers. He hit Nelson in stride at full speed, so he was able to just take off because I think... McCourty sort of adjusted to it, thinking that Nelson was going to have to slow himself down a little bit to make that catch, but he caught it and was just at full speed and never, never even lost a step. So, uh, I think that was as much Rogers as anything. I think uh, the Packers called the timeout just before that play, so I have a feeling that Nelson sort of went to Rogers and said, "Listen, I can, I can get Revis on the end cut. Let's run that, something like that," because it seemed like they knew and they had a plan and and they executed it perfectly. And when you go against Rodgers, it's going to happen sometimes. So. It's sort of like best of the best against the best of the best. So you get beat sometimes by Aaron Rodgers. I think you take that matchup, though. Uh, Because Nelson, outside from that play, didn't really do much at all. So obviously it was the play of the game, but uh, you just have to accept that Rodgers is going to beat you once in a while.
0: I know a lot of people... We're tweeting or talking about the Guskowski miss field goal and you know game over right after that and and I feel like the game was probably going to be over anyway because it didn't feel like the Patriots were going to be able to prevent the Packers from getting that first down but to see him miss that kick in that spot uh obviously more on the line than just the score because of the spread and and for a guy who never ever yeah. ever misses um it, just a very weird time for him to to decide to you know miss by uh like another actual field goal on the ground, like, probably missed by, like, 20 yards to the right.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was last week against the Lions when he lined up for a kick in the fourth quarter, and they put the graphic on the screen that he hadn't missed a fourth quarter kick since uh, September 2012, which was a, a potential game-winner against Arizona that he shanked, and the you know, Patriots lost that game and fell to 1-1, one and, one, and then they actually lost the next week and were 1-2, and, and there was panic in the streets again. Uh, but, yeah, that that was just a terrible kick, and I haven't even rewatched it because it was so bad, but obviously Rob Ninkovich was, was put in there in emergency long snapping duties. I heard some people complaining that the, the snap wasn't perfect, but, I mean, it was good enough to not kick the ball, almost missing the, the net behind the, the uh, end zone. So it was rare. I don't know. You can chalk it up to just a rare occurrence. You could say maybe he wasn't used to kicking on cold grass. The Patriots practice on uh, grass outside, but it's in a lot better condition, I think, than than – game used turf so I don't know maybe maybe that played a factor or maybe maybe he had a little I don't know maybe his brain flipped upside down on him but that, that was obviously a bad time like you said the spread that that probably affected a whole lot of people because the Patriots were getting three points and that would have at least closed that gap but yeah that that sort of took the wind out of their sails too it made it a lot it put a lot more pressure on the defense even though the the situation would have been the same that they needed to stop they just You know, it's kind of tough to take the field after a missed field goal like that.
0: Well, you felt like the Patriots aren't, you know, the guaranteed lock to get to the Super Bowl and and getting that home field advantage now. um, They did have this sort of two-game lead over the Broncos with the one game in the standings and then the one game being the head-to-head, and now that the head-to-head is really their only um, advantage over them, and they finish with at San Diego, Miami at the Jets, and then Buffalo. It's not the easiest of four-game stretches to finish the season, and when it comes to the Patriots, I feel like whoever does get that home field advantage is going to be the team that ends up representing the AFC in Arizona.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, I've seen the Patriots lose at home. Uh, they lost to the Giants a couple of years ago. The year of the Super Bowl, they they uh, had the rematch. But uh, it's, it's not an easy place for opponents to come in and play. And I don't really understand why. It's not a particularly loud building. It's not uh, – there's not – it's windy, but it's not like it's, you know, the old Meadowlands, so – I don't really understand why they're so good at home other than uh the coach and quarterback combination. But uh yeah, if they do get the, the one teeth they, they should be able to get through it because I don't see Peyton Manning coming in here and doing it. Obviously the Chiefs demolished the Patriots this year, but if you watch the Chiefs for the past few weeks I don't think their team anyone would be worried about. So uh it's 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 a weird it's kind of a weird thing. It's so cyclical where the power's been in the AFC where in the first month you were you could legitimately be scared of the Chiefs, and now they're kind of a laughing stock after losing the Raiders and whatever the hell they did on Sunday night was just brutal. So uh, it's it, it's coming in waves. The, the Broncos took over after that, then the Patriots took over, and now you know whoever's the best team in December is always going to roll, roll in to the playoffs feeling the best. And the Patriots under Belichick in December are something like I don't even—they have like an eight eighty winning percentage or something like that. So. The odds are in their favor. I'll I'll give them that. Well, when it comes to Tom Brady and,
0: uh, you know, obviously you're his biggest fan in the world, and to see all these, you know, clips, the vines, everything on the internet about him freaking out in Green Bay, it seemed like, you know, maybe I was just watching the same video over and over, but it seemed like he was doing it a lot. You don't, I, I guess you do see a lot of emotions out of Tom Brady at kind of random points. I feel like you always see it in the playoffs because it's the playoffs. Um, I feel like you do see it at the beginning of the year, maybe because it's the beginning of the year, but he was extra emotional on Sunday in Green Bay.
1: Yeah, and I think to a certain point, he's, he knows that he's 37 and he only has a few more, a few more years left, and, and he used this as sort of a measuring stick for his team if they could actually be a championship-caliber team. And, you know, he, he, he didn't want to let the opportunity slip. He said after the game, you wait your whole life for moments like this. And we didn't, and he regretted the fact that he didn't win. And it's like you wait your whole life for a week thirteen matchup in Green Bay that might not actually mean anything. So he obviously put extra emphasis on this game, and you know he wasn't perfect. He he made a few bad throws, but I mean he wasn't bad by any stretch. But he actually said on the radio this morning in an interview, he never felt like they they should have won. They were never in position to win and then blew it. He just said. They didn't win, so you know they just weren't as good as the opponent, and I think that really has him. You know, he's gonna he's gonna want to reform that team to be championship caliber down the last month because he knows that this might be his last chance. As, as sort of doomsday as that sound, it's reality.
0: Well, here in New York, uh we obviously don't have a football season when it comes to the Giants, and as for the Jets. Um... I don't know if anyone really ever expected them to have a football season. Uh, You didn't have a baseball season. We had sort of a a fake one because it was a lot of uh, the Yankees disguising themselves as a bad team and staying in it for no reason. But now with the offseason underway, it looks like you're going to have a better season at least next year than you did this year. And while the Yankees continue to uh, not make any (laughs) adjustments to their roster or change anything from a team that's missed the playoffs back-to-back years, the Red Sox have gone and scooped up the best two hitters uh, available on the free agent market. Sort of taking a page out of the the Yankees' uh, strategy and game plan from 2004 to 2008, which didn't exactly work out so well. So, what are your feelings on on the Red Sox? You know, opening up their wallets and and going Yankee style here.
1: I mean, it's great. You got you know Pablo Sandoval. He's okay. Uh, I I'm not sure he's great. I still don't fully understand what they're doing with John Lester. I don't really know why they don't want John Lester. That's always been my impression. Is that they're fine to just let him float off and, and join another team, and they had their chance with him last spring training and didn't really make it an effort at all. They made one what was a four-year, seventy million dollar offer, and that was it. So I'm not really sure what they're doing there because I think as a Yankee fan, you can sort of speak to the fact that pitching tends to be a little more important than hitting, and right now the Red Sox rotation is almost non-existent. So I'm not saying John Lester is you know a Hall of Famer by any means, but he's a guy who. Makes 32 starts every year and pitches pretty well. So uh, until they do something to their rotation at all, I, I really don't think there's going to be too much of a change for the Red Sox next year.
0: Well, to even go to that point about you know them opening up wallets and, and worrying about the uh, the the lineup rather than the rotation and how very Yankees-esque it was from you know 04 to 08. And and when it comes to Leicester, it's almost like the Pettit situation where after 2003, you know Steinbrenner didn't really care for Pettit, didn't care if they signed him, didn't care if they re-signed him, brought him back, didn't want to overpay for him, and then the 2004 ALCS happened. So, like you said, I mean, the Red Sox rotation right now is really nothing. The Yankees, you know, they've got an abundance of arms, and whether or not they could stay healthy is another thing, but, um, you know, one team's got the pitching, the other's got the lineup, and and you mentioned Pablo Sandoval, and certainly he is a great postseason player for the Giants. Uh, his regular seasons, you know, as a switch hitter, has been up and down, but... He seems to me like the type of guy who's going to go Carl Crawford and be writing a blog, you know, come July about how the fans and media mistreat him in Boston. I think he's sort of putting himself into a position that uh, if things don't work out, he's going to regret it pretty quickly because Boston isn't San Francisco.
1: Yeah, and the, the offer from San Fran, I think, was something like $10 million less. I mean, it was less, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a $23 million difference in two extra years or anything like that. He basically, I think this was. It was two-part. It was David Ortiz for years, at least two years, has been saying, like, I need help in the lineup. Get me help in the lineup. And he'll he'll talk to the media. Obviously, he says anything he wants. And he'll publicly talk about some great player and be like, yeah, that could, like, Nelson Cruz, look at him. He's, I think we could use a guy like that. He's hitting the ball pretty well. Uh, so, so partially it was a, to appease Ortiz because, really, he was right. He needed some protection in the lineup. And then, secondly, the other half of it is I think players like Sandoval are, like, dying to play with David Ortiz. That's that's like a career, you know, something to add to their to their list because Ortiz is such a, you know, well regarded player among the, the, the players and Sandoval's still, I think he's twenty eight years old. It's not like he's an old guy. He's still kind of young and he probably looks up to Ortiz a lot. So I think that that plays a huge factor. It's it's like a, a recruitment tool that no other team could really offer because I don't know any other reason why you'd go from the NL West and the city that loves you and has, you know, your Stuff, animals and crap like that all around to a city that's you know, it can be pretty miserable if you're not excelling at all times. So I, I feel like the one and only reason Pablo Sandoval's here, aside from the good, the good offer the Red Sox made him, is that he gets to play with Dave Ortiz.
0: Well, the other part of that is Hanley Ramirez, who comes back to Boston, um, you know, leaving to go to, to Florida in that trade that Theo Epstein said he never would have made, which in return the Red Sox would have never won the 2007 World Series. Uh, and Hanley... You know, he played 128 games this past year. Um, he played 86 in 2013, 157 the year before that. So, the last couple of years, he's had, you know, a half a season, like a 75% season, and then a full season. And there's another guy who, his past, when he was with the uh, Marlins, you know, he wasn't exactly the uh, team-first guy, and, and that caused him issues there. Um, when he went to the Dodgers, he had, you know, several mysterious injuries, um, got hit in the ribs in the 2013 playoffs, and, and missed a lot of time there, and... Uh, I don't know, it just seems to me like a, another skeptical signing, and, and granted he was a Red Sox, you know, uh, he was part of the organization to begin his career, but another guy who really, do they have a, a place for him now if Sandoval's at third and people say Hanley can't play short anymore, uh, do they stick him in left field and try to, you know, rearrange or, or move parts in the outfield, Just it just seems like, you know, they, they sign this guy without a real spot for him, or at least a real spot for one of the two.
1: Well, when they made the announcement, they specifically said they went out of their way to make sure they said Red Sox side left fielder Hamley Ramirez. The guy's never played there in his career, but in the press release, it said sign left fielder Henry Ramirez. <laughs> so that was that was intentional because I think they've done so much to screw with Vander Bogart's head that they didn't want to sign a shortstop and even have that be a distraction. But uh, frankly, I like you, you're showing some sort of I don't know questioning the deal and stuff like that and a lot of people here were saying you know that's a bad deal mostly because the guy is kind of a knucklehead but I think he's such a better hitter than Sandoval and such a like actual more impactful bat add that yeah I mean he may be a jackass and an idiot but I think the Red Sox have sort of a long track record of dealing with that pretty well at least for a while so uh they can manage a lot of egos they can manage things like that and again the Ortiz factor has to play in because you know Ortiz I I mean, he's not a coach or anything like that, but he kinda has a lot more stature than most players do, so if you act out, I think he's gonna call you on and he's gonna, you know he's not gonna be afraid to approach someone if they're being a the dingus. So I think he can uh, he can sort of keep Hamley in line at least to you know, get him on the field and get his head right.
0: Hamley gets eighty eight million a chance for more with that uh that vesting option and Pablo gets ninety five million. Uh and then Kyle Seeger gets a hundred million seven years and it seems like now <laughs> And you look at Nelson Cruz, he got, like, four years, 57, so he's not even getting, you know, a $60 million deal, which just seems like an obvious thing for the guy who, you know, crushed and really was the only home run hitter, true guy, true home run hitter in the league this year. Um it's sort of a letdown for Nelson Cruz because in this day and age, if you don't get a hundred million dollar deal, it, it, you must feel like a loser because everyone gets one now it, we used to have to you know do something or, or be something or be a household you know name or, or someone that is the face of a sport and now everyone gets one, whether it's uh, you know Pablo almost touching that Kyle Seeger getting that or, or even in the NFL, you know guys like Andy Dalton and Jay Cutler who have them
1: Yeah, I had to look up Kyle Seeger when he got that deal. I was, I was <laughs> kind of confused as to what was going on. And and it's really a new age in baseball because uh when the American League Cy Young Award winner was announced, I didn't know who it was. And I watched a lot of baseball and I've watched that guy pitch multiple times, it turns out. And right now not sitting in front of my computer not I I forget his name. So it's a it's a weird time, uh, in the baseball era. It's not exactly like the, the Manny Ramirez and Black Guerreros and and whoever else is the big names. The biggest name is what, Mike Trout and he's he's still on a deal that pays him like pennies compared to what some of the, the other players make. So it's pretty weird. Who who won the Cy Young? I forget.
0: Uh, This year uh, it was Kershaw and uh, Corey Kluber. Corey Kluber, yeah. I didn't know who that was. Well, if the Red Sox, if the season, you know, was to start today, I guess Clay Buckholz would be the opening day starter?
1: Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, I. I it's, they might need to get Ryan Dempster out of retirement just to round <laughs> it out because it's, it's not, you know, they, they work. they used last year once they fell out of the race pretty pretty early, even last year to bring up and see what they had, like Alan Webster and uh, Renato, things like that. They're younger pitchers to give them some experience, but you know, they had some mixed results. Obviously, you don't expect 21, 22, 23-year-old starters to come in and just dominate, uh, well, unless they're, you know, actually really good, but um, it was a good opportunity for them to get some playing time, but I don't think you want to go into the season and actually hope to compete without, you know, only five starters, and they traded two of them away last year in, in Lester and Lackey, and they haven't replaced it yet, so I don't know if they if they want Scherzer, if they want Lester, I don't know what they're. I honestly don't know what they're thinking. The only explanation I have for the fact that Lester's not on the team is they told him, you know, go out and shop around and let us know what your best offer is, and we'll match it, and you'll be a Red Sox, you can retire here, blah blah blah. Because at this point, it's sort of ridiculous to leave him dangling out there, just doing whatever he wants. When when they they had a chance to exclusively negotiate with him last year and chose not to. And now they're just sort of letting him do whatever he wants. So it's pretty bizarre, and I'm going to need a 14-year-old who breaks news to tell me what's going on because I, I I can't figure it out myself.
0: Well, when you mentioned those guys like Renato and Workman and all these people they brought up, it made me think of that kid, Michael Bowden, who they brought up. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember he, he, people thought he was like, the next big thing, and I remember he pitched against the Yankees in 2009 in an August game I was at at Fenway. Yeah. And just, it, the final score was like 20 to like 3 or something. It was nuts. And I just looked him up. He's, he didn't pitch uh, in the majors this past year. I don't know if he pitched anywhere, but he actually went to the Cubs in 2012 13. So I guess Theo never Theo. Uh, really gave up on him.
1: Theo Theo and Jed uh stuck with they they brought so many of their like bum prospects from the Red Sox and the Padres with them to Chicago as if it was gonna work. The, the, but that's not the best Theo move of all time. The best Theo Cubs move of all time has to be bringing in Darnell McDonald. I was just gonna say I was gonna, just gonna
0: say, where's Darnell McDonald now?
1: <clears throat> I'm pretty sure he's he I th- I I honestly think I might be wrong. I think he has a job with the Cubs, doing something, not playing anymore. But he, he, he came up here as, like, this no-name fill-in when everyone in the Red Sox was hurt. And he was on the team for, like, two and a half years. It was, like, this is the Boston Red Sox with a $175 million payroll, banging out the stadium every night, playing on national TV every four weeks. And Darnell McDonald played, like, every night. It was, it was like, it came up as this, like, cute story in April and May of, I don't know, 11, 2010, 2011. And he had, like, a walk-off hit. And then the next night he had, like, another, like, big late inning. And it was, like, oh, this no-name, wow, that's great for him. And he just stayed on the team for like three years. And then obviously he, he faded away at some point. And then Theo picks him up and adds him to the Cubs. It was just so like there's not enough people playing baseball that you need to hire Darnell McDonald to play the outfield.
0: He actually, so I just looked at him up. And he last played in 2013 for the Cubs. Um, he actually hit 302 in 25 games with 351 on base. The year before he got, when he got cut by the Red Sox, I remember he was on the Yankees for four games, didn't get a hit but the guy is you know he's a 250 career hitter uh, with a 314 on base and 20 home runs in 331 games which is like you said why is he keep getting chances and then i just saw that he was hired on april 15th of this year to be a special a baseball operations assistant with the cubs so it, it almost Nailed reminds it. me of uh in, in rookie of the year when the manager tells the, the kid or he, he beat the guy, uh, what's his name, Daniel Stern in, like, the minors, and he's been following around ever since, and that's almost like the reason that McDonald still has a job.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe he's got a good baseball mind, and he's he's good in certain ways. Obviously, Theo is in love with the guy, and he can't help but offer him jobs every year. But, uh, you know, a lot of times the guys that are just hanging on, scraping by, sort of quadruple A's, are, are the guys that have a better mind for the game, and that's how they're able to make the big leagues at all, obviously not on their talent. So, I don't doubt that he can do that office job, but it's like the fact that he was on the Red Sox for so long still boggles my mind. I will I'll be like 93 years old, and I will be telling my great-grandkids about Donald McDonald, long-stint with the Red Sox, because I'll never be able to figure that one out.
0: I think the worst thing right now about baseball, and, and it's not that the Yankees have been bad the last few years, it's the fact that Mets fans now think because they have like all these young pitchers that they're suddenly just going like, to become the Braves of the 90s and just like be a perennial powerhouse. And uh, you know, just compete every year, and they don't realize that the you know the rest of their division is still pretty good. And and it's also the Cubs fans who now have haven't won anything in forever. And all of a sudden, because they've got Theo and Jed, and they've got some you know young t- hitting talent, they still have no pitching, which <laughs> everyone forgets. And also because they have Joe Madden, as if Joe Madden um, is going to play shortstop and and you know hit three fifty with forty five home runs, it's just. It's just a weird dynamic right now with all these bottom feeders suddenly thinking that they're the next big thing.
1: Yeah, but I mean, look at the. I mean, look at like the St. Louis Cardinals. There's not really anything there. I mean, I guess they do spend a little bit of money on some free agents, but they're always there no matter what. And you don't look at them and you're not scared of their lineup. You're not scared to face them, but they're always there in October. So I guess, I guess there's a sense of sort of ways to figure it out. And I, I understand why the Cubs might feel that way because Joe Madden has a history of getting a lot out of out of low budget rosters and you see what he can do if he actually has a budget. But I, like you said, he's a manager and in baseball, you can only do basically the only thing a manager can do is lose games. You can be a terrible manager, but a great manager doesn't really impact the game that much other than not screwing up. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I'll, I'm convinced uh, that, uh, the Mets are in trouble after I see, uh, I, I, Mad Dog has convinced me that they're, they're not going <laughs> to go anywhere as long as their best pitcher is going to Yankee games. If he's Derek Jeter, <laughs> I love so, that you're a, so,
0: you're a huge Mad Dog fan now, and you you just missed out on the boat when you were growing up. You should have grew up down here in the tri-state area. You could have you know listened know. to him every day.
1: I know. I mean, I still I I tried to find the Boone Logan clip I sent you that time because that was <laughs> the most perfect clip ever. Because I think that actually summed up you in like one three second clip. It's just Mad Dog screaming Boone Logan. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, to finish it up here, you know, I remember going back uh, when—well, this actually has to go with our last point, too, and the fact that all these teams think they have a chance now is because of the five-team playoff format where the Yankees, who are as bad as they were the last two years, you know, according to Yankee standards, were in the mix until the final week of the season when it came to the playoffs, so— I think a lot of these teams now do have the hope because if you're just bad, you don't you don't even have to be really bad. If you're just a bad team, you could still hang around until September, and as long as you're floating around the 85 win mark, you'll have a shot there at the end of the season. And I remember when this first started, and you mentioned how you know you like baseball the way it is, and you like how you know the Yankees and the Red Sox are the best, and we'll always have the Royals, and who really wants the Royals to be good? And there they are, making the World mm. Series. And uh, you know it just shows how much things have changed, and how Major League Baseball is sort of becoming, you know, what the NFL has become, uh, where anybody can beat anybody, and there is no uh, consistent contender, at least uh, at least for the last two years, except for maybe the Cardinals. But and and along those lines, with the World Series, uh, Jake Peavy, who who did everything he could to lose <laughs> it for the Red Sox last year, gets to win it again, and. He really is just, like, he's become Josh, what Josh Beckett was to me for so long, and he's that guy now because he's just terrible, and he keeps winning, and he's detrimental to his team's success, and there he is, you know, spraying champagne over everyone, acting as if he uh, was throwing complete game shutouts.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think as, as much as he wasn't great with the Red Sox, he actually did some positive things, even in the playoffs. Down the stretch and, and into the playoffs, that this year with San Francisco was brutal. I mean, he made a couple of good starts that in the regular season when they didn't score runs for him, but God, the, the World Series star was just atrocious. It was I, I thought he lost the whole thing for him. They they almost had to move Madison Bumgarner up to Game Six just because uh tv was so bad. And it's just uh, it's to see him celebrating and like buying the trolley car. It's like he's that was disgusting. A of Did himself. he buy a
0: trolley yeah, car this just, year?
1: Yeah, because last year you bought a, a duck no, boat. I, saw, I remember you bought the
0: duck boat, and I was like, "Dude, you're you're going four and a third innings, giving up four runs, and you're buying the yeah, duck
1: boat." Yeah, I think you know Madison Bumgarner should drive his free Ford truck or whatever truck it was, and with all the technology and stuff, and just put it right next to the trolley car and just light it on fire and have a big old explosion <laughs> because to celebrate like that, it was sort. You have to sort of be embarrassed as a professional athlete. he's proud. And PV was on. I mean, it's easy to forget, but he was the man. Like in 07, 06, he was one of the best pitchers in the league. And to to be that bad and on that stage and just get taken—what did he last? Two and a third innings in the in the in the World Series start when he had a chance to win it. it it's gotta be embarrassing. But with the Red Sox, he at least—I want to say he had a good start against Detroit. He might have lost it, and he might have had a he he might have had a good. No, I don't think so against Tampa Bay. But I know I know he didn't pitch too well in the World Series, but. At least he was, like, you know, respectable. This year was was brutal. So, you know, like he's a likable guy, and I guess that the players like him because he, he swears every time he throws a bad pitch, and he's really competitive, and he's a bulldog and all that stuff. But
0: Whenever, they, oh, whenever people say you're a bulldog, it's usually you <laughs> suck, <laughs> you and uh, they're trying to say something nice about you.
1: Well, like Roger Clemens in 1987 was a bulldog, but he was also, you know, the most feared pitcher in the league. Uh being a bulldog when you can't get anybody out is kind of embarrassing. But you know, good for him. He's got his he's got his, his duck boat in his trolley I don't know what the hell you do with a trolley car, but it must he, be nice to be rich.
0: Well back uh last year for the Red Sox against the Rays he did have a good start. He went five and two thirds, one run, um, which was his best. Then against the Tigers he went three innings, gave up seven runs. Against the Cardinals, good. four innings, two runs. And then this year, he went five and two thirds shutout against the Nationals, so all right, we'll give him that. And then against the Pretty Cardinals, good. he went four innings, two runs, and then the World Series in two starts, he went 0-2, six and a third, 12 hits, nine runs. So he's had really Not like good. two good starts.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, bulldog, I he he's a, that a, he's, a he's a bulldog. That he's a competitor. He's out
0: there grinding went out for you.
1: I do like him though because if he throws like one, it'll be like a 0-1 count, and he'll throw a breaking ball and he'll snap it off a little too. Too much and it'll hit the dirt and he'll just start throwing f-bombs all over the place which i appreciate someone who actually you know cares about what happens on the mod you know i i, I would never say anything bad about his competitiveness and like you know he actually gives the crap because someone who's made as much money as he has doesn't necessarily have to care at all so good for him in that regard but yeah i the the trolley car thing was, was pretty bizarre
0: all right hurley well uh it's funny because I thought you were going to mention this from the top. That usually I always do a podcast with you after a Patriots loss, and that was just uh, a, I didn't even notice. That was just coincidence, I think this time. But we we will have to talk again here now as we get into the holiday season and the Patriots are going to the playoffs once again. The Giants are going home, but uh, yeah, hopefully we're talking like that second week of January and they have uh, uh, that first round bye they come off of and they and they lose that divisional
1: round game. I think they're going to play the Colts again or something like that and just. Roll them by forty points. Because that's <laughs> that, that's that's how that game has gone in the past couple of years. I've I've been there when they just obliterated the Texans, and last year against the the Colts was just embarrassing to be a witness to. So uh, I don't think the divisional round would be a uh, a hurdle for them. But I said the same thing in 2010 when the Jets came to town. So you never know. Maybe we'll be talking. <laughs> All right, Hurley. Thanks again. All right.